Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. I'd like to welcome all those in our South Campus and I'd like to welcome those watching online. So what are you thankful for? I mean, this is the time of, of year that we think about all those things that we have and we say thanks. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful um, for this church. I'm thankful for our community, our nation. So what are you thankful for? You know, genuine thankfulness uh, is being appreciative of, of what you've been given. It's actually looking back and seeing all your blessings and, and giving God credit for what he has done in your life. You know, it's God's will for you to give thanks. In fact, the very foundation of this series comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So today we're continuing our series, Thankful For, and I can say I am thankful for God's grace. I am thankful for God's grace. Every one of us, whether we realize it or not, we've been blessed by God's grace. God's grace is something um, that has been given to us. You know, the word grace means undeserved favor, but let me say it this way. Grace is unmerited favor and undeserved goodwill. Grace is unmerited favor and it's undeserved goodwill. It is when God freely gives you what you need, not necessarily what you deserve. Last week, we talked about God's mercy, and it's important to know the difference between God's grace and God's mercy. Now, now mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. We deserve punishment, but God extends mercy to us. God's grace, however, is when God gives us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve his blessings, yet he pours his blessings out on us. And so everything that he does uh, in you and through you and for you, it is by his grace. So the more you understand this, the more you're gonna be grateful and be thankful for what God has given you. So as I was thinking about this subject of grace and looking at it through the Bible, it is such a large subject, it's hard for me to communicate in an adequate way what God's grace is all about. You know, the very first time grace is ever mentioned in the Bible, it's back in the book of Genesis. It's the story of Noah. It says, Genesis 6 and 8 says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, the story of Noah and the ark is probably one of the most popular stories uh, ever been told. Even people who do not go to church or do not even know the Bible know about Noah and his big boat and all those animals that came in two by two by two. There were two giraffes, and then there were two tigers, and there were two gamecocks, and then there were two bulldogs. <laughs> two by two by two. And most of you know that about the animals, and then you know about the great flood. 
and how the flood came and, and it became literally a floating zoo. And then the water receded and the animals went out two by two by two. Then a rainbow appeared and God gave the promise never to send a great flood on the earth again. And that's the summary, that's the story of Noah. But you know, it is so much more than just what I said. It's so much more than just a children's book. You know, the flood was God's response to what was going on in the world. People during Noah's day were living without restraint. The people of Noah's day had forgotten God. They were doing their own things. They were, they were focused on themselves and, and, and marrying and giving in marriage and, and just living their lives. They were having a good time. But somewhere along the way, they edged God out of their lives. They said, we don't have room for anybody else. And especially, we don't have room for you, Lord. And as a result, the, uh, the wickedness of their day and the evil of their, their day started to increase. And so we pick up the story in Genesis chapter six in verses five and following. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created and with them all of the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. Now when we read this, this is only 10 generations in since Adam and Eve. And God said it's 10 generations in, and it's already a mess. But in the darkness of those days, one man stood out from the crowd, and that man was Noah. He was a bright and shining light in the midst of prevailing darkness. He was pure, and he was righteous, and he walked uh, alone with God, and he stood out from the crowd. And the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God spoke to Noah and said, I'm going to send judgment on the earth. And this judgment is going to come in the form of the flood. And that there was going to be a global reset. And he was to build an ark to save his family. Now let's talk about judgment just for a moment. When I, I talk about judges, I am talking about the moments when God calls people into account for their actions, whether it's good actions or evil actions. You see, one day we're going to stand before a holy God and we're going to give an account of our one and only lives. We're not going to be asked about our friends. We're not going to be asked about our family members. It's just going to be us and we're going to give an account of how we have lived our, our lives. Now, we live in a culture that likes to minimize the concept of judgment because we don't want to be held accountable for our, our actions, but one day we will. There is a day of reckoning that is coming, and we all will stand before God, 
And when I think about God's judgment and when we think about God's judgment, it makes me think about four things that God's judgment does for us. First of all, it frightens us, and it, and it should. Because you see, what we see happen to other people, you know, uh, what God's word says, when we see how they're acting and, and see the result of their choices, it should make us think twice about what we're about to do. So God's judgment has a way of frightening us to put that holy fear. Later on, we'll see in the Bible where uh, Noah in holy fear did uh, built an ark. And so it brings that holy fear and that holy respect. Secondly, I believe that God's judgment sobers us. It forces us to reassess how we've been living our lives and hopefully change our priorities. Hopefully along the way that we'll reshape uh, what's important to our lives. When I think about God's judgment, not only does it do that, but it humbles me. Because it has a way of, of stripping away my self-righteousness and, and it reminds me that, hey, Marty, you've blown it. You've made mistakes. You've sinned. And it reminds me that I'm really not in control, that there is one that is greater than me and that greater than us. And finally, it reassures us. The very fact that there will be a final judgment reassures us that there will be justice in the earth. There'll be justice in the universe. And we want justice. We want justice. We want people to be treated fairly. And we all know wicked people around the world who deserve judgment. And the Bible says there is a judgment day coming. And that God keeps meticulous records of everything that happens, and the wicked will be held accountable for what they've done, and one day, one day, there will be justice. I, like many of you, have been watching the presidential election process. One side says that this is the most secure election in all of history. And the other side says it's not. We are living in a very dangerous place as a nation. And regardless of who will be inaugurated in January, this process has exposed some deep corruption in our land. Whether it's in big tech or voter suppression or how we've handled the pandemic and so forth, there seems to be corruption at every turn. America needs to change. America needs to repent. We need to change. We need to repent. You see, you can't shack up with the devil and expect God to pay the rent. There's a day of reckoning coming. And God does not always settle his accounts at the end of the week or at the end of the month or at the end of the year, but God will settle the accounts in his time. Jesus said in Luke chapter eight, he said, there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed 
and nothing concealed that will not be known are brought out into the open. I pray that this corruption will be exposed, and I pray, and I have prayed this over and over, that righteousness will prevail. And we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we are scratching our head, and we don't know what's going to happen, but here's what we do know, that we are standing in the gap, and we are praying that righteousness will prevail, that we as creakers will walk in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, that we as God's church and that God's people that regardless if one side wins or the other side's done, that we are going to handle this situation in a way that honors the Lord, that we are going to act in a way that honors him because we know that uh, his kingdom is not of this world and we are going to stand and we're going to proclaim the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And we've got our work cut out for us. And we don't know what the days ahead of us will look like. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future in the palm of his hands, and we know that God is bigger than the devil and that God will prevail. Amen. And I realize that the enemy comes in like a flood, but the Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the Spirit of God will lift up a standard against him. And we have the confidence that God is going to lead us through. We have the confidence that God is going to protect us and that God is going to provide for us. But we're standing up for what's right. And we're praying, God, come. Let your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. Expose the corruption, expose the evil, and let us repent of our sins and let us fall on our faces before you. And God, let revival come to America once again. This is a time to stand on God's word and this is a time for us uh, to continue to stand in faith that God will complete what he has started. God's going to complete what he started. And it may look like that the tide is turning against the Lord, but let me say this, God is bigger, God is stronger, and God is in control. And you can rest assured, do not allow the fear of the culture to hold you back and to immobilize you. God has come to set you free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom. The freedom comes in Jesus' name, and we're gonna stand in him. It's not of our works of righteousness, but it's Christ in us. And the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And when Noah learned that the flood was coming, he challenged the people to turn their hearts to the Lord. He called them to repentance. Not only that, he called them to repentance. He was preaching a message of repentance, a message of change. But uh, along with his preaching, he started 
building an ark. He took a step of faith. He gathered his sons together and they started to build the ark. You see, Noah just didn't hear the word, but Noah heeded the word. We're to be not only hearers of the word, but we need, to, we need to be doers of the word. He stepped out in faith. This is the message of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse seven. It says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, he built an ark in holy fear. He built an ark to do what? To save his family. In holy fear, in holy respect, he built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that is in keeping with his faith. You see, building an ark was a step of faith. It was a step of faith. And here's why. Because Noah lived hundreds of miles from the nearest ocean. And many biblical scholars would say up until that time, it had never rained on the earth again. They look at scriptures like in in Genesis chapter two, when it says, for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from, um, from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. It had never rained. Streams came up and, and out on the earth. Now, at this point in history, the world was a, had a tropical environment. Now, that's why archaeologists have discovered um, tropical fossils on top of mountains that are covered in snow. So when the flood came, it changed the atmosphere. It changed the climate. We talk about climate change like it's something new. But it's not. Climate change started back in Noah's day. Now, let me just talk about climate change just for a minute. I believe that we need to be good stewards of the earth that God has given us. I believe that we need to, to, to be careful of how we treat the land and how we treat our waters and how, uh, what we release in the atmosphere. We need to protect there. We just need to be good stewards. That is so important for our next generation to enjoy the benefits of this earth that, that we have. But that does not mean we worship the earth. That does not mean we worship Mother Earth. The Bible says that creation is groaning for the, for the day of redemption. It's groaning. And when you see these wildfires and you see the increase of hurricanes and uh, all of these seismic events, these are signs that the earth is groaning and it's looking forward to redemption. No government program is going to change that. It is pure arrogance to think that you have the power to change that. God has set in motion that the earth is groaning. It is crying out because one day there's going to be a new heaven and one day there's going to be a new earth and we put our confidence in God's word. That's why the Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand forever. And so we have to have a balance here. We have to do what we can do, but understand 
that God is in control and the very earth that he spoke into existence is groaning. And when we see these things happening before our eyes, we should look up for our redemption draws nigh. Back to the text, Noah stepped out in faith. He started building. You see, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the next. Noah stepped out in faith. He's gonna build an ark. What do you need? I need lumber. It's not like he could go down to Home Depot and buy lumber. So he got his boys together and they started cutting down trees. They started building um, the ark. That's why it took decades and decades and decades to build the ark. Now in Kentucky, there's a ministry called Answers in Genesis. They've recreated the ark that Noah built. Has anybody here been to Kentucky? We have not. I look forward to seeing that one day. I mean, here's a, a picture of the ark that they built. And when you look at this picture, it is massive of how large it is. And it's amazing when you look at this, you realize that Noah didn't have any sophisticated tools. He didn't have sophisticated resources. All he had was his family. And together, they built this ark. As they're building it, they're trying to convince people to come follow the Lord, to turn to the Lord. But the people did not receive his message. But instead, they scoffed at him. They mocked him. They laughed at him and said, it will never happen. The people were skeptical. And it seems like that the more Noah preached, the more they knocked him. They simply didn't believe that a worldwide flood was possible. And they just mocked him. Let me say this, God will not be mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that will he reap. And my concern when I look at our culture is that we have sown to the wind, and the Bible says when we sow to the wind, we will reap the whirlwind. And so we always have to be careful, realizing that the actions that we take, the very words that we say, we are creating our future. Your words build your world. And I just want you to understand that's why it's so important to us that we speak life and hope. People in Noah's day, they didn't receive the message. They mocked him. But we know what happened. The heavens opened up and the rains came down. And the Bible says it rained for 40 days and it rained for 40 nights and the waters covered the earth for 150 days. I am sure that as the rain waters were coming down and God closed the door of that ark, I am sure that his neighbors are, are beating on the ark saying, let me in, let me in, let me in. But it was too late. The flood came and took them all away. It was too late. God brought judgment on the earth. Think about that. An entire generation was wiped out by the hand of God. One moment they're sitting at their table eating dinner, and the next moment their entire house is wiped away. Maybe they're out in the fields tending to 
to their farms. And then all of a sudden, the water comes and covers their farmland like a, uh, like a lake. I would imagine that people all over saw this coming and it was just too late. Nobody except Noah and his family were ready for it. Everybody else perished. We pick it up in chapter seven. It says, every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped out from the earth. Only Noah was left. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. We go over to chapter eight. Chapter eight and verse one. But God remembered Noah. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God remembered Noah and he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. God remembered Noah and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded and the ark came to set on Mount Ararat. Noah came out of the ark and the Bible says right when he came out of the ark, Noah built an altar. Noah made a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Noah made a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord. And this offering that he made to the Lord was a sign of of complete surrender It's a sign of dedication to the Lord. And this offering pleased the Lord. I believe that when you offer a sacrifice to God, um, a sacrifice, the Lord will respond. When you give a sacrifice of praise, what happens? The presence of the Lord comes near. When you give sacrificially, God pours out his blessings on you. And it's important to give. But the, very most, the most important thing for you to give is to give yourself. Because you see, when you offer your life to God, I believe that he gives you purpose and he gives you meaning. When you offer your life to God, he gives you purpose and he gives you meaning. God responded to Noah's offering by saying, chapter nine, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all of life be destroyed by the waters of a flood and never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign unto you. This is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. We fit in that. We are part of the all generations. The story is important because all of us go back to Noah. If you get on Ancestry.com and you can go back far enough, Noah's going to be in your bloodline. Okay? Noah's in your bloodline. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. That's what it's a sign of. It's a sign of the covenant. The devil has prostituted the rainbow. Hear me on that. That is a sign of the covenant. It's a covenant between mankind and God. And you've got to train yourself because society has said the rainbow means something else. It's not based on what the Bible says. The Bible says the rainbow is a sign of the covenant between um, God and the earth. 
So every time you remember that, remember that God saved Noah and his family, and he gave that salvation promise to you, and he gave it to me. So this is a summary of Noah's life. It's a story of judgment, but it's also a story of grace because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace is unmerited favor and undeserved goodwill. It's really difficult. It's really difficult to comprehend the grace of God. That's why I'm gonna take this, this history lesson out of the lecture hall and move it to the lab session. And sometimes it's current day stories that help us to see biblical truth in a, in a, a better light. So imagine this. Imagine it is Wednesday. Imagine it is Wednesday and you are a coal miner in West Virginia. And today you are working 240 feet underground. And by accident, somebody working in an abandoned shaft drills a hole and it penetrates the shaft that you're in and causes water to flow into where you're working. Not just a little water, but millions of gallons of water just pouring in, and quickly, you and your seven buddies, you start to run for safety. And in desperation, you climb over rocks, and you get to a little place where you, there's a little air pocket and there with this little air pocket, you're, you're uh, there together in this tiny space and it's cold and it's dark and you're huddling together and you wonder how long you can survive because then it hits you. You're 240 feet down and there's no way out. You can't run to the entrance. You can't swim out of it. You can't dig a hole through it. You're trapped in the darkness. If someone far above you does not come to your rescue, you're gonna die where you are. Someone does come. Far above you, rescue workers drill an air hole and sending hot air down into that shaft to warm you and to push back the water. Unknown to you, there are hundreds of people working together to dig a rescue shaft. And finally, they break through. And that capsule is lowered and... and, and, uh, and one by one, you're lifted up to safety. When you were trapped, they came for you. When you could do nothing, they rescued you. When your life was about gone, they dug through and found you. Someone far above came down and saved you. This is the grace of God. When we were trapped in the darkness of our sin, someone far above came down 
from heaven to rescue us. He left the comforts of heaven and he worked through the, uh, the layers of sin and guilt to set us free. He came into our darkness and he shined his light of freedom on us. We were trapped, but he set us free. There was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. If someone from far above doesn't come, we're going to die. But someone came. Someone came for you, and his name is Jesus. Jesus came for you. He dug down right to where you are, and he came down to set you free. This is the grace of God. God's grace is for you, and it is greater than anything that has been, that you have done, and it is greater than anything that has been done to you. It is greater than your diagnosis. It is greater than the tragedy of your abuse. God's grace is greater than the secrets that you have hidden behind. God's grace is bigger than the addiction that holds you back. It is powerful enough to erase your guilt and to remove your shame. Grace is real enough to heal your relationships and it's strong enough to hold you up when you are weak. And you may have given up on grace, but God's grace has not given up on you. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And today, I believe that you can too. I'm thankful today. I'm thankful for God's grace. I'm thankful that God reached down to a little Pentecostal church in Abbeville, South Carolina on Easter Sunday night of 1968 and he saved me. My life has forever been changed. And all these years later, that salvation power, that grace of God is, is even stronger today. Because you see, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And God's grace is here for you. You're not here by accident. You're not in our South Augusta campus by accident. But I believe that God ordered your footsteps. Those of you that are watching online right now, it is not by chance that you clicked on that video. But God has ordered your footsteps to this point because he is once again reaching down and saying, I'm here. You don't have to go through this alone, but I'm here to make the wrongs right. I'm here to wipe your slate clean. I'm here to give you another chance, a second chance. I'm here to save you. Do you want to be saved today? In a few minutes, I want to pray for you. And I believe that this is your day. In fact, the Bible says today is the day. It is something that we don't put off. But immediately when we hear the message, we respond to that. Will you respond to that? Will you simply say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, come into my life and be the leader and the Lord of my life.
Jesus, I'm gonna turn and follow you. I'm gonna repent. In a few minutes, I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna lead you in this prayer. And for those of you who are believers that you're in this auditorium, you're in our South Augusta auditorium, maybe you're at home, I want you to start praying right now that God's grace would be extended and that people would be responsive. So now is your time. I realize that prayer is something that you're not comfortable with, some of you, and some you're not familiar with, but so I'm gonna lead you in this process. I wanna lead you in this prayer. But more than anything else, I want these words that I will help lead you in to become your words and become your prayer. So you ready? Are you ready to be saved? Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for the people right now that are making decisions across this community and beyond. I pray that this day, that their lives would be changed. Now, Father, as they pray this prayer, do as only you can do, save them. So if you're ready, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Say that, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Say that, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want you to pray this. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person you would have me to be. Make me in the kind of person you'd have me to be. I give you my life. I give you my past. Say that, I give you my past. Say this, I trust you with my future. Save me. I receive your grace. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray not only for those, but those people that are rededicating their lives to you today. God, let your grace be extended. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who are in the room, I want you to take out this communion cup. And we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Communion is a symbol of God's grace. During that first Holy Week, Jesus met with his disciples. And he says, in the future, when you meet together, I want you to take the bread and take the cup. And so we've got the bread and cup together. And you pull off the little plastic um, thing off the top. It may be a little harder uh, for some of you, but just work at it. It'll come on off. And then take uh, the foil off. Jesus said that in the future, when you meet together, take the bread and the cup, and when you do this, I want you to remember me. What is he saying? I want you to remember the sacrifice. I want you to remember that Jesus went to the cross, that Jesus paid for our mistakes. He paid for our sins. And so that's what we remember today. And we remember that and we say thank you. And so the reason we've gathered today is just to say thank you. Okay? Father, in Jesus' name, we hold this bread up and we hold this cup up. And Father, as we lift this bread, we break it. Break it. Go ahead and break it now. And we ask that you bless this bread as we remember that this represents your body. Now, I want you to take the bread. Father, we lift up this cup. This is a cup of juice 
but this juice represents the blood that was spilled from the cross. And we understand that that blood washes us, washes the stain of our sin away. And so God, we ask that you would bless this cup as we take it in Jesus' name. Now take the cup. Amazing grace in my chains. 
for that grace today. God, you are worthy. God, we thank you. We praise you. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. Hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving week. Hope to see you next Sunday. God bless. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.